Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. But <laughs> yeah, let's go. Blow up. Tuesday, June 30th, 2020, Kyle Krabs, you, Locked On Dolphins. Thanks for tuning in. It's Power to the Pod today, which means it's your show, your questions, your hypotheticals, your hot takes. We digest all of them here on the show and do our absolute best to cover as much ground from the best listenership in podcasting. All of you, you got one, two, three, four, five. We got seven five-star reviews of the podcast. I'm recording this at uh, 8 o'clock a.m. on Tuesday. These are the ones that are showing up on my phone, so they're the ones I'm going to tackle. And then I've got like 30 Twitter questions. We won't get them all, but I'm going to try my damn hardest to get as many of them as possible. So with that said, welcome to Power to the Pod. It's your show. We're going to get started. Uh, DE for Yanks left this on Wednesday last week. Kyle, thanks for the great work. Love the show with Travis. You've been doing an absolutely great job since he's moved on. Thank you. Travis has been doing an awesome job with drive time as well. Power to the pod question. I'm a fan going back to the early 1970s. What one player from that era would you pick to play on the Dolphins' current team? pre two? I would have picked Greasy, as I think he would have been a star in any era. So I would pick Larry Little. Your thoughts? Um, probably. Offensive linemen are tough. The, the older eras are tough because of like just the exponential growth of athletes, right? Like defensive tackles from Manny Fernandez would have been maybe a defensive end, maybe a linebacker uh, in today's NFL just because athletes are so much bigger, faster, stronger. Uh, Larry Little, you're not going to go wrong with a Hall of Fame offensive guard. And Larry Little, him having uh, the, the prestige of arguably being the best offensive lineman in Miami Dolphins history. Uh, Dwight Stevenson probably has the best case for argument, but doesn't have the longevity because the Jets did him dirty. Hurt me so bad to say that out loud. I don't know if you heard that. I actually almost threw up in my mouth a little bit. Uh, D.E., I think you're you're spot on with Larry Little just because the Dolphins need commodities that have proven themselves on the offensive line. They have a lot of questions. They have new blood. They've got a, a blueprint that works. But if you could put a Hall of Famer on that group, I'm taking that all day long. Uh, Stugatz fan, one, power to the pod. Great podcast, new listener, and thoroughly enjoy your content. Thank you. Even convinced me to buy some Built Bars and try them out. Bless you. You are two for two thus far in the lead-in to your question, which is, what, which is what do you think of a hypothetical NFL G League? What do you think Miami's G League team name would be if this concept were to come to fruition? Thanks again, and congratulations on the baby. Thank you very much. Um, can we just go with the Miami Sharks? Well, you guys have seen Any Given Sunday or not. It's my favorite football film. Dolphins and Sharks, I'd get behind that in a hurry. Uh, as far as the NFL Developmental League, 
I wish they would. I really do because the way job security in the NFL and, and turnover is so persistent that it's really hard to invest in players, and that's why it was kind of a big deal that we got a couple spots on the pra- extra spots on the practice squads. But even still, like you can only learn, learn so much from the limited reps that you're going to get as a practice squad player versus you know actually doing it. And, and we've seen now with. Uh, some of the other startup leaks that have come and gone. Financials have been the problem. Appetite for the game has not. The league has an opportunity here. How they choose to to capitalize on it, make it work, I don't know. But I do definitely think, you think about baseball, there's minors. Basketball has a developmental league. Hockey has minor leagues. Football is the only sport, and granted some of it's because they, they carry... 53 men plus practice squatters on their roster, but like you're taking training camp teams down from 90. You mean to tell me those other guys can't pull together and create a couple of teams that players have like player rights to and can call them up or can have them play in the off season. I don't know. I think that I think there's a way to do it and I'd like to see it. D Lee on 54. Great educated look at this team through the lens of a host who loves the concept of team building as much as I do. The the saying about great minds thinking alike is true after all. Your power to the pod question is this. With the possibility of no college football, do you see this year's supplemental draft uh, having a bigger haul of talent, and do the Dolphins, uh, should they be considering some of these players? So from what I understand, the NFL is not going to be granting eligibility to players based on the coronavirus pandemic, uh, which puts college football players in a really weird limbo, especially if the college game doesn't get back off the ground. They don't play this year because that uh, I would imagine that if anything would qualify as a hardship, but the deadline is so tight and it's going to be before these teams have to decide whether or not they're going to play it puts the the players in a real weird spot, and I'm waiting for the first player. I honestly am. I'm waiting for the first player who's going to call their bluff, whether it's the NCAA or the NFL, and try to declare for hardship based on the pandemic and try and enter the supplemental draft. Uh, because if we start seeing Devonta Smith, let's use him as an example, the wide receiver out of bounds. He and Tua had such great chemistry. He would have been a first-round pick if he came out last year. And he ultimately opted to go back to school. But if he were to call the supplemental drafts bluff and say, I think I'm eligible, I'm going to apply. And they granted it to him. Yes, I'm Miami. I'm absolutely going to pull the trigger on a player like that who I know has a chemistry with my young franchise quarterback. Uh, next one from Legacy AR. My power to the pod question is uh, which former Dolphins player that we let leave in free agency recently, not traded, would you want on this roster? Thanks, fins up, and congrats on the good news for you and your wife. Oh, boy. So a recently departed Dolphins player via free agency that I would want back on the team. It's an extremely tricky question because you think about all the players, um, Minka, Tunsil, 
Landry, Drake, even like Ajayi, players that were cut, I'm going to assume players that were cut qualify here. And I'd probably honestly say Raheem Mostert. 5'10", 197, uh, played Cleveland, Miami, and Baltimore in 2015, ends up landing on his feet in San Francisco, had 137 rushes, averaged over 5.5 yards per carry last year, had almost 1,000 yards from scrimmage, had 10 touchdowns for San Francisco, made Matt Bright, uh, Breida expendable for the 49ers. Which kind of, in turn, ironically enough, plays to the value of running backs and how easy they are to find and so on and so forth. Um, Mostert coming out of Purdue, undrafted. Running backs, you can can pluck them almost anywhere, but Mostert had a really great year last year. And I wouldn't want to pick like Jordan Phillips or Billy Turner because I don't I think Billy his tenure in Miami played out and it ended on bad terms. And I just did think it was time for everybody to move on there. And Jordan Phillips, knowing what kind of contracts he's he's gonna command because he had nine and a half sacks last year for Buffalo. When that's a grossly inflated figure and not necessarily indicative of his quality of play, have a hard time feeling good about him being a long-term fixture as well. That's a, a really great question. Question from Big Dane. Do you think the signing of Tyshawn Render will pay off greatly? Render is the small school prospect who Bill Belichick went and stood in the rain and watched him work out. I mean, he's, he's a promising athlete, promising young talent, but he went undrafted. And uh, I think anytime you put expectations like paying off greatly for UDFAs, it's it's kind of a, a slippery slope because so many of them, you know, there, there's plenty that rise to prominence and become good players, but there's exponentially more of them that don't. And I wouldn't want to bet on Render becoming an exception to the rule. Uh, so that's, I wouldn't expect it. I think there's... There's a reason Bill Belichick showed interest in him, and there's a reason the Dolphins signed him. Um, but do I expect that to pay off greatly? I don't. I don't think it's fair to render to put those level of expectations on a UDFA. Adam Blarcharski, love the show. Great, tra- great transition from Travis, and you're putting out great content. Thank you. What would impact the Dolphins more positively or negatively for the future? Dolphins starting to all 16 games and the offense is overmatched and doesn't even meet mediocre expectations, but the defense carries us and allows us to squeak out a few extra wins and have a better season. Or the defense getting blown out consistently and can muster anything with, with all the star power, but Tua comes in and plays the last six or seven games and is completely lights out as a starter for the quarter, uh, a starting quarterback. So would it be more positive or negative for either one of these scenarios. Um, I think if Tua plays all 16 games, you feel good about that, especially if the offense is overmatched, means he's probably enduring some wear and tear. And if the defense carries this, listen, the the defense, whether we like it or not, is the identity of this football team. It's where the Dolphins have invested most of their money. It's where they've invested all their big-name players, other than obviously having Tua Tungvaloa at the quarterback position. (sighs) If the defense carries you well, you know, and, and Tua plays all 16 games, I think that is a great launch point, even if we, quote-unquote, sneak out a few extra wins. Um, obviously, you'd love to see Tua come in and, and throw for five thousand or 400 yards a game 
for six or seven games and, and do what Deshaun Watson did when Watson came in as a rookie for the, the six or seven games that he played. Um, I would say the upside to that outcome, first of all, you'd, you'd be super disappointed that the defense is getting blown out consistently. Uh, but if your team's bad, Tua plays good for six or seven games. Um, you've got, you feel like you've got lightning in a bottle with a quarterback position and you'll probably have a higher draft pick. So that's the upside in that scenario. But give me Tua starting all 16 games and understanding that there's going to be a lot of growing pains and probably the chemistry isn't necessarily going to be completely where it should be or could be. New pieces. I think that narrative spun quite easily. And if defense plays like studs, which I think they're capable of, Miami's money was well spent. I think that's a better outcome. Uh, Kyle does a great job of dissecting the Dolphins. This is from Nick Tanner. This is the, the best podcast to take a deep dive for all things Dolphins. Thank you. My power to the pod question is, do you play fantasy football? Are there certain sites or experts you refer to or gather your information for the fantasy season? Uh, yes, I dabble in fantasy. Uh, I, I don't get the same enjoyment out of it as I get from the NFL draft, but that's okay. I am going to give you a shameless plug. Uh, Jamie Eisner, who spent time with formerly FanRag Sports and Scout and was at Sports Illustrated. He's just come over. He's the new director of content at the Draft Network. He's one of my coworkers. And he is excellent for all things betting and fantasy. And he's begun doing his 2020 uh, fantasy football big boards and positional rankings this past week. So would definitely recommend swinging over to the Draft Network as a shameless plug for the Draft Network. And check that out. It's well worth your time. That's it for the iTunes questions. And now we have the Twitter questions. And uh, some good thought-provoking questions on this front as well. You guys really did a great job this week bringing in uh, a slew of good questions. So with that said, let's get started with the Twitter questions. Alejo wants to know what I will be looking for in training camp. First of all, I hope I get a chance to go to training camp. If media is allowed at training camp, I will be there. I'm telling you right now. Uh, but with the coronavirus pandemic and understanding that the NFL, they're doing everything in tears, right? And that, that's one of the big things that's come out as a news story regarding how they're going to go about their reopening process is different tiers of access. And they're going to be separating even people within the organization that don't have to have access to the players. They're going to be like completely boxed out of that portion of team facilities so that they don't contact the players. They're guaranteed not to cross-contaminate players or run the risk of cross-contaminating players. So we're going to have like different ecosystems within each team's ecosystem. Um, if I'm at training camp, I want to look for Tua's confidence in decision-making, provided he's able to throw. If he does that quickly, you know we're going to open up a whole different can of worms for what our expectations should be for Tua year one. I'm still a little on the fence as far as being more conservative with him. Also want to know if any of these receivers are going to kind of step up outside of Devontae Parker and make a claim for uh, Preston Williams recovering from the knee injury. Don't expect you'll see a lot of him in training camp. Who else steps up on that front? Uh, James, you were speaking to my heart here, brother. 
Hashtag power to the pod. At this point, Belichick is a proven cheater. NFL not banning him for like makes a mockery of the entirely. I will say this. For the incident, we didn't talk about this yesterday on the show. The Patriots got fined $1.1 million, were stripped of their 2021 third-round draft selection, and their video team will not be permitted in stadiums throughout the entire 2020 season. That level of punishment for what was seemingly a quote-unquote innocent violation speaks volumes. Spygate 2.0, whatever you want to call it, they're, they got their, their video production teams up in the box filming the Bengals sidelines looking for sa- the signs, filming the substitution groups. A lot of smoke here. We got the flake gate. We got Spygate. We got Spygate 2.0. It just never, it seemingly never stops with these guys. And the Patriots, tip of the cap to them, master class in PR, they've probably had the Cam Newton signing in their back pocket for months because they wanted to get through uh, the, the comp pick window. They wanted to make sure the price was right. Hey, Bill, uh, Adam Schefter's going to report that uh, we're, we're getting stripped of, of our picks and we're getting fined a million dollars. All right, let's phone up Cam. Fax him over the contract. Let's go. <laughs> it's frustrating. It is, it is frustrating to consistently see. And Patriots fans will say, oh, well, you just want to bring down. I guess I should technically do the Boston accent for this. Ah, well, you know, Goodell just wants to bring down Boston and the champs. And Belichick, he's the best. And everybody's out to get him. No, you guys, you, you just keep doing... Like, if you get caught cheating this many times, at some point you're just a bad cheater, or the cheating is 10 times, 100 times as rampant as what we realize on for what we get caught with. So you tell me what it is. But it, it gets real old. And that's a heavy punishment to hand down for something that was seemingly nothing. A big humble. Pick one. 10 years of playoff berths, but you don't know what will happen. Or one playoff berth over the next 10 years, but it is a guaranteed Super Bowl win. This is extremely difficult. How many first-round buys do we get? Because if you got to win four games to win the Super Bowl. Man. I think I would go with the law of averages, right? If you make it 10 straight years, your team's good enough to make the playoffs 10 straight years... You're going to have to get lucky one of those times, right? At least. And instead of missing playoffs for the other nine years, but winning the Super Bowl, you'll, you can make it all 10 and possibly win one. I think I would take all 10 years of playoffs, which is weird because I, I literally said last week that I was, I was going to whore myself out for a Super Bowl win. But I want more than one if I can get one. Let's see, next question. How much better is Byron Jones as a corner than as a free safety? How would you like the secondary with CB1, Xavier Howard, CB2, Needham, or Igbo, slot Bobby McCain, safe, free safety Byron Jones, strong safety Eric Rowe? Byron Jones' best appeal to me is that he could play physical at the line of scrimmage. 
you know, for all the questions that people have with his ball production, lack of ball production there, that is, um, taking a guy who has two career interceptions and playing him at free safety. I don't know, you would really amplify whether or not there are ball skill issues or not. But the coverage component of being sticky and the drop-off from Byron Jones to Nick Needham, say what you will about the way Nick Needham played last year, it was good. But I'm not letting a good, young, promising talent prevent me from having a great talent at that same spot. And Byron Jones is a great press man corner. I think that drop-off is exponential. And you run the risk if you switch Igbo and play Igbo outside. I think you're taking him away from his strengths as well. I think everybody's probably going to get a little sampling of of a multitude of roles based on certain matchups. And if you want a guy shadowing somebody and moving with him one-on-one, by and large, I think the way the Dolphins' secondary is constructed right now puts everybody in their optimal role, including Nick Needham being the primary backup outside corner. In a perfect world, a player like Nick Needham, who showed great promise, is a smart player, good tackler, but athletically is not in the same stratosphere as the other guys in the secondary, having that guy be your core special teamers and your primary backup is a good sign of depth. Because yes, for some teams, he could start. But you want to have that situation where guys that could start on other teams are the backup on yours. That's how I feel about it personally. Jake Henderson, two questions for you, Kyle. Uh, Jakeem Grant has been posting several videos, tweets about how he wants to be known as a wide receiver given that he stays healthy. What is his ceiling? I see him as a great player. I loved watching him at Tech and think he could be like Tyreek Hill. Uh, Your thoughts? I don't think that's an unreasonable stance to take. But the problem is, if he stays healthy, is such a big qualifier for him because he's, like Tyreek Hill's tiny. Jakeem Grant is tiny compared to Tyreek Hill. And if he was going to stay healthy, he probably would have stayed healthy for a season by now. The more you play him at receiver, the more wear and tear he endures. I just, I really struggle with that. I don't think you can guarantee a guy of his stature who has struggled with durability to this point in his career is going to magically flip the switch and not have durability problems going forward with his size. So I love Jakeem Grant, but like Dolphins fans, like some of you guys get mad at me talking about the receiver room for Miami needing improvement. But Jakeem Grant is a perfect like wide receiver five turn specialist and your gadget player. You manufacture him a couple of touches here and there. When you space the field and stretch it out, he's one of your speedy guys that can get up the field. And he returns kicks. That way you're going to get this guy five to eight touches a game. And he's so explosive and he can make it count. But it's like there is so there is t- such a thing as too much of a good thing. And Jakeem Grant and touches is one of those things. Jakeem Grant touching the ball is a good thing. But too much of that is going to result in Jakeem Grant, his body wearing down. Now he's going to be less explosive. And the more injuries he has to endure, the greater toll it's going to take. And you're going to get diminishing returns on when he gets back to 100% how explosive he actually is. So I struggle with that one greatly. Because I don't disagree with you. He has game-breaking speed. 
but he's as tiny as you can possibly get as an NFL skill player, and it's given him problems already. If he was going to become a Tyreek Hill, wouldn't he have already done it? So that, that's kind of how I feel about Jakeem, and I don't mean that as disrespect to Jakeem uh, because I like Jakeem a lot. Kyle Smith, the NFL is forced to cancel the season, season because football is unsafe. Instead, they must do a 32-team basketball tournament. Every team has 10 players and must choose one quarterback, running back, tight end, wide receiver, offensive line, defensive line, linebacker, corner safety, and kicker or punter. Who are our 10 starting five and where do we rank? Oh, jeez. Kyle, this is an excellent question, but this is also a monumental task. Okay. Um, our quarterback is Rosen, just because I've seen the video of him with the no-look shot from uh, the free-throw line. So I know he's got a little bit of hoop skills in him, and I don't want Tua doing anything extracurricular from a sporting activity perspective. Running back is Brita because he's got Jets. Um, give me Devontae Parker because you know he's going to have value in the boards. Uh, go up, high point those footballs. Tight end, Gasecki, no questions asked. Uh, offensive lineman. Jeez, who's the big guy down low? Austin Jackson's really athletic for his size. I think he'd probably be my pick. Defensive lineman, Wilkins. Just because you need a good shit talker on the, on the court. Linebacker, I'm probably going with Jerome Baker. A little bit of explosiveness. Corner, Byron Jones, just because he's a freak athlete, he's going to jump out of the building. Uh, safety, let's go with Bobby McCain. Elite short area quicks, maybe get him on some point handling, uh, point guard, ball handling. Kicker and punter, man, got to flip a coin. Who's a starting five? I think five of the, the, the really appealing guys here are Austin Jackson at center, uh, Devontae Parker and Mike Gusecki as your forwards. I want Breida in his quickness. And um, I'm going to assume Jerome Baker can ball. And I'm going to put Jerome Baker there. Where does that rank amongst the league? I have no clue. David. Should the Finns target an explosive slot or someone with another physical route running receiver with outside and bump Preston Williams inside? Preston Williams might have the route running and would face less physicality on his releases and would give the Dolphins more versatility in the offense with a huge wide receiver group. Yeah, so this is interesting uh, because you compare and contrast what Chan Gailey has typically had versus what Tua had the most success with at Alabama. And those, those two things are a little different. Tua between Ruggs and Judy and Waddle and Smith, I think the slowest guy there out of that group is probably Devonta Smith, who's going to run like 4-5, 4-5-2, something like that. Whereas, you know, Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, another big body... Whether, whether it's like a Rashad Bateman in the NFL draft or a Sage Surratt, uh, a bunch of size guys, right? And then Gasecki at tight end, even he is a, a massive size target. I think for Miami, 
you need to you need to be able to bring a little bit of both to the table. So I would personally prescribe to a speed guy to play in the slot, a Waddle, Jalen Waddle, a Rondale Moore, somebody like that in the NFL draft. Uh, but if you get a chance to bring in a hypothetically in free agency, a Juju Smith-Schuster, okay, Juju's going to play the slot. Now you're going to have the big slot group. And Preston Williams might end up becoming a player who's like Nick Needham in that he's a really good player. He could start for some teams, but his value to this team would be as a cog in the wheel that you can put in, and if Devontae Parker's got to get subbed out, you could put Preston Williams in that spot, and he'll do that well. And if you put him in Juju Smith-Schuster's spot in the slot, he can run the slot well and not have to worry about beating press coverage. So, I don't know. I think that for Preston Williams, we need to see more before I'm sold on him being a player that's like a long-term answer. He was really great when he played last year. But he was super raw coming out of Colorado State. He now has a knee injury. And I'm not going to put all my eggs in that basket yet. So, uh, I think the question's a good one. Philosophically, for me, I want the speed guy. But Preston Williams is going to have to bounce back and continue to prove that, like, yes, I am that player that was on pace for, like, 950 yards last year. Andrew, my boss is a Jets fan and thinks the Jets are winning the division this year. Other than, in any other setting, I'd have no problem telling the story straight with facts and analytics. But how the hell do I tell my boss, who won't let it go, that he is dead wrong? What's, like, build... He needs to build his case for the Jets to win the division. Okay? This team, 7-9 last year, they beat up on some of the worst teams in football to get seven wins. Three of their wins were against teams that were picking in the top five in the NFL draft. Literally. I mean, that, that is in itself how the Jets got to this point. You've got the worst coach in football. As a Dolphins fan, we have seen what bad coaching does to good, talented teams or mediocre, talented teams. You cannot transcend bad coaching. Adam Gase, it's not a coincidence. Look at his offenses when he doesn't have Peyton Manning at his disposal. He's an offensive guru that doesn't know how to coach offense. Jets, from a personnel perspective, they got better at left tackle, but their left tackle's a rookie. He got arguably worse at the skill players to surround Sam Darnold. You're one of the most undisciplined teams in football. I would love to hear the argument for why the Jets are going to win. His players can't stand him, just like in Miami. So, Andrew, I can't help you there, and I feel for you. I'm sorry you have to be exposed to a delusional Jets fan every day at work. Uh, politically incorrect. I've heard the argument that the Alabama receivers made to a successful, what say you? I would point to some of the quarterback charting that I referenced a couple weeks ago with uh, Benjamin Solak at, at TDN and, and contextualized quarterbacking. Uh, Tua, his ball placement and accuracy in tight window throws, even though he was asked to make those throws less frequently than any other of the top quarterbacks in the 2020 NFL draft, his ball placement and accuracy were tops of the class. His accuracy is unparalleled. Now, the longer you ask him to hold within the pocket, 
the sloppier it gets. Uh, there was one more question that I saw here that I wanted to get to, and, and there's a bunch of others that I did not get to. Uh, but we will cover some of these. I, I see two questions that I will turn into shows for the rest of the week. Uh, but the one that I wanted to at least acknowledge that we're going to come back to, and then I want to get this take by Mike Samuels. Uh, Tom, here it is. Uh, the way you explain the spread offense makes it sound so great and an obvious choice for any team. What are the major flaws, problems, and how do you see the Dolphins mitigating those issues this season and beyond? Tom, this is tomorrow's show. Because there's a lot to unravel here, and this is an excellent question. Because theoretically, any offense that you put on a whiteboard, you're going to say, wow, that makes a ton of sense. I don't know why everybody doesn't do that. There are pros and cons, and we got to talk about the cons of a Chan Gailey-style offense. And we're going to do that tomorrow on the show. Uh, got two Built Bar shout-outs from, from Joe Gog. Uh, what is your favorite Built Bar flavor? I would probably point to the orange chocolate cream right now is the one I, I went through the fastest. And uh, uh, the question from Mike Samuels. First, I want to say when I got my first pack of Built Bar, I was surprised to find the elite amount of fiber hidden in each bar. You should definitely mention that. Built Bar's got a lot of fiber, by the way. Uh, and second, does Cam going to New England ensure that they won't luck into Trevor Lawrence next year? Yes, I definitely think that you, you can consider the Patriots out of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes at this point. So if you're looking for a silver lining, there you go. That's a nice one for you to end today's episode of Power to the Pod. If you submitted questions and I answered them, I thank you. If you submitted questions and I did not answer them, I also thank you. I'm grateful for all the interaction I get with you guys. I'm grateful uh, for all of your interest in Locked On Dolphins. And like I said, between DolphinsWire.com and the next couple of days on the show, some of these questions I did not get to, it's a heavier lift, including Matt Breida. There's a question about Matt Breida and what his contract could look like moving forward. I wrote that today over at DolphinsWire.com. It's a heavier lift than what we could get into in a single segment in question of a show. So make sure you swing over, check that out. Keep your eyes peeled. Kyle Krabs, Locked on Dolphins. Thanks for listening. I hope you keep it locked in for the rest of the week and beyond. Thanks for listening to Locked on Dolphins.